We engage God in worship. This fall we started asking a question. We'll just kind of answer it all year long. What kind of church do we want to be? And the fall we said we're a church that blesses people and we're a church that enjoys the truth about God as Father during Advent. And Christmas we said we're a church that practices a stable Christmas, which means we know that there's darkness in the world, but in Christ God has shown his light into the world. and We get to receive that and be changed by that and be a part of God's light. 2023, as we begin, um, we're going to say we want to be a church where we engage God in worship. That's our up rhythm. We're created in the image of God. And if we don't worship God, we actually don't know who we are. God made us in his image. So by worship, uh, I'm going to mean something very specific. Uh, What I mean is what we do right here on Sunday mornings when we gather. Questions like, what do we expect? Why do we do what we do? What happens when we worship? Why do we sing? What do our physical bodies have to do with worship? And why, what do we give and why do we give? And to help us kind of start off on this journey of engaging God in worship, we'll start with this question. What's been your experience with church worship services over your lifetime so far? Good? Bad? Eh, neutral? Or maybe you've just started attending a worship service and you don't have a whole lot of experience. That's fine. Some of us, you know, you may have grown up going to a worship service every Sunday as kids, and all you can remember is the wooden pew was uncomfortable, you had to stand, you had to sit, you had to kneel, and you had to sing songs you didn't like, and if you weren't quiet, you got in trouble. Maybe that was your experience. Or maybe you grew up in a worship service in a small church that you really liked because everybody knew your name, and they talked to you on Sunday mornings, they were interested in your life, and you just had a great time. Or maybe in worship experiences in the past, you, you knew the pastor was talking about things that were supposed to be important, but you couldn't figure out what they were talking about. Or maybe your experience in Sunday morning services has been that pastor was talking about things that made sense to you and helped you. All different experiences. And then you have experience worshiping here at Cornerstone on Sunday mornings. Now, if you're here, you're probably here because at some level you want to be here, which means Probably you like the music, the message is understandable, and you have some friends here, which leads us to a question that's so basic, you probably never asked it, but who is worship about? Who? We've all been raised in a consumer culture where everything is about us, right? So we say things like, I liked the music, the message helped me, I get to see and visit with my friends. Now, it's helpful to like the music the message, and talk with your friends. That's all great stuff. But as the Bible explains worship, worship is not about us and what we like. Worship is about God. Worship is actually about engaging the God who created us. It's about giving God our attention. Worship is about thanking God, praising Him for His goodness. It's about surrendering our lives to God the Father through Jesus His Son. Sometimes when we come to worship, you know, you, you and I may mistakenly think, you're the audience and I'm putting on a show or the worship team's putting on a show. That's not what's going on. God is the audience. We're here for him. We sing for him. We listen to scripture explained so we can hear his voice. It's all about God. Now, just like Jesus, we are tempted to misuse worship. Listen to the story of Jesus' temptation. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. 
During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Three times Jesus said, no. No, I will not use the power of God to get what I want. No, I will not live recklessly and expect God to protect me. And no, I will not worship or make my anchor point anyone other than the true God. So Jesus is our example. So we're not going to be a church bent on using God to get what we want. And we're not going to be a church that disregards God's instructions, but then expects God's protection. And we're not going to be a church who just worships our wants and wishes. We're going to follow Jesus. We'll worship the Lord our God and serve him only. Engaging God in worship does something amazing. gets us into the one story that matters, which is God's story. The generation that fought World War II is called the greatest generation. 16 million U.S. soldiers served in World War II. And they had this story that they, they bought into. It was a story about freedom, freedom for our nation, freedom for the world. It was a big life, world-changing story. And our nation supported them. Eighty years later, our culture... <laughs> is now focused on a very, very, very small story. Forget the world, forget the nation, forget the community, just think about yourself. Our motto has become, I live for myself and I do what I want. All that matters is my story. Maybe we'll include our family, but that's it. Very small. The first sentence in the Bible reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything, all of history, is God's story. We'll talk through this during Lent, but God's story in the Bible has four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. All of human history is a story. It's God's story. God creates. We rebel. That's the fall. We try and write our own little stories. It's not working out. God sent his son Jesus to redeem, to get us back into his family where we belong, into God's story. And at the end, Jesus comes back, makes everything new. The only way that your personal story and my personal story makes sense is when we worship God and find our place in his big story that he's writing. Otherwise, we're like a single jigsaw puzzle piece. Just one. Don't know what it means. Don't know who we are. Can't figure out how to stay happy. We're just alone and isolated because we belong in this big jigsaw that God the Father is putting together. All the pieces need to fit together. God's inviting us back into his story. He's our creator. God sent his son Jesus so that through trusting Jesus' death and resurrection, we experience forgiveness. We're welcomed back into God's family. Then God puts his spirit in us so we experience some restoration, some renewal, 
some healing from our wounds, and that gets us ready to celebrate when Jesus comes back at the end and makes everything new and restored. This is the way worship works. We worship our anchor, whatever we think it is. Now, if you're in a boat and you want to stay in one place, you cast the anchor, and your boat drifts until the anchor catches on something, and then you say, we say, the anchor's holding. Boat stays still. In life, we worship what we think our anchor is. And you and I have tried many different anchors during our lifetime. And oftentimes, funny thing is, we mistake the good gifts that God gives as what we should anchor our life to. For instance, we mistake God's gift of family, great gift, as our anchor, and that that's my anchor. It's all about my family. It's going to hold me. But then in every family, there's conflict and brokenness, right? The anchor won't hold. You know that. Or we mistake God's gift of work for the anchor. We work hard, we make money, we're successful, it's going well, this is great. But then we lose a job or don't get a promotion or get disappointed and the anchor doesn't hold. Or we mistake God's gift of providing for our needs as the anchor. Only we turn our needs into wants and we want more and we want more and we don't get what we want and the anchor doesn't seem to hold. The only anchor that holds in this life and the life to come is God and Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us, New Testament, therefore, we who have fled to him, to Jesus, for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So when we realize all these other ankles don't hold, then we come to Jesus and say, I get it. You're the anchor that holds. I anchor my life to you. And that means we center our thinking, our decisions, our dreams, our plans, our hopes. We're all centered on Jesus because he's the only anchor that holds. That's worship. And worshiping Jesus changes everything in our lives. Little wordplay, no worship, no power. When we know worship, then we will know power. God's our creator. God and Jesus Christ is our redeemer, our restorer, our healer. If we don't worship Jesus... If you don't put Jesus in the center of your life, you have very little power. You have no power. Well, you have a little power. You have whatever power is in and of yourself. You know what? It's not much. It isn't for me, at least. But when we trust Jesus Christ, when we anchor our lives to him, then we get connected to the God who made us, and God puts his spirit in us, and then we have real power, which is the power of God's spirit in our inner person. And we settle down, we rest in God's love and God's peace. That's what happens when we know how to worship. Then we know the power and presence of God in our lives. Then Jesus asked them, the disciples, but who do you say that I am? That's, by the way, a question everybody's got to answer. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter's saying, I know who you are, Jesus. You're the one sent from God to save us. I put my trust in you. I anchor my life to you. All the other anchors don't work. I get it. I know you won't fail me. That's what Peter is saying. Worship, little word picture here, is like letting out the clutch and engaging the presence of God. Now, when I was 19, I took an airplane flight from Seattle, Washington to Fargo, North Dakota, and there my wife Terry met me. At that time, we'd been dating for a year. A couple years later, we'd be married. We would be attending North Park College in Chicago together. And the plan was I'd fly to Fargo, and then uh, Terry's parents would let us use their Toyota Corolla, pack up our college stuff, and drive down to Chicago together. We'd be attending school. A couple years, fast forward, we'd, we'd get married. So 
So I thought, great, fly out, get this car free to drive down and carry all our stuff. One catch. This is a manual transmission, stick. Guess who had never driven a stick? I grew up in the suburbs. Everybody has automatic transmission in the suburbs in Seattle. Didn't grow up on the farm. Fortunately, Terry grew up in a small town. Her dad was a farmer, had been a farmer earlier in life, and she knew how to drive a stick. Not a big deal. So it became Terry's responsibility to teach me how to drive a stick before we drove to Chicago. So I hopped in the passenger side, and Terry drove that Corolla outside of Drayton into the gravel country roads. And if you've ever been up there, it's absolutely flat. You can see forever. So she stopped, turned off the car. We switched places. I sat down in the driver's seat, and I thought, I'm ready to learn how to drive. This can't be that hard. So she explained the basics, you know, before you start the car, push the clutch in, then you turn the engine on, find first gear, and then slowly and evenly lift up your foot on the clutch. And she, my memory, she said, just, just test a little bit just so you can start to feel when the, the engine catches. I thought, oh, I get it. Engine's turning about 800 RPMs, and the car cannot benefit from all that power at all until the clutch engages. And when it does, then goes the rear wheel, and off you go. What could be simpler? Easy. Not a problem. So I said, okay. So I did everything Terry told me. First, second, third, stop. First, second, third, stop. First, second, third, stop. First, second, third, stop. You get the picture. It's a lot of first, second, third, stop. Got to get the shift done, right? And every once in a while, I, I didn't learn fast. Every once in a while, I'd have this nice, smooth shift. And I'd look over at Terry. Next shift, not so good. But I learned enough. And uh, at the end, you know, she didn't criticize me at all. She put up with the jerkiness. And, but at the end, I remember her turning her head to me and saying, I'm better at driving a stick than you are. And it was true. And it actually kind of remained true on in the future. So, when you come to worship on Sunday morning, the power and presence of God is here, like an engine turning at 800 RPMs. But there's no automatic transmission. Just because you show up and sit in a chair doesn't mean you're engaging God's power and presence. You have to learn to let out the clutch out to engage God. It's something you and I learn to do ourselves. It's kind of like driving a stick. You have to learn how to do it, and then you get better at it. And the basic shift is this. Worship isn't about you or me. Worship is about God. That's the first basic shift we have to make. So the prayer for this week, very simple. True God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I renounce worship that is all about me and using you to write my story. I affirm the truth that worship is all about you. You are my creator and redeemer. I want to find my place in your story. You are the anchor for my life. Let's pray that together. True God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I renounce worship that is all about me and using you to write my story. I affirm the truth that worship is all about you. You are my creator and redeemer. I want to find my place in your story. You are the anchor for my life. Amen. And if you haven't, on your way in, on the, at the offering boxes, pick up a bulletin, the prayers on there, use it this week to get that basic shift down.
not about us. It's about God and his story. So that's why the Bible is so important. If you don't have a scripture, the Bible is a part of your kind of daily routine and getting God's truth into your life, you will actually think worship's all about you. Because that's what our culture tells us. Only the Bible tells us what's really accurate. So don't have a New Testament, pick one up, start reading. Uh, read the book of Luke, story of Jesus' life. See how he brings God's light into the world. 